Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. She's not, just a, she's not just a confidant. She's not just a, uh, a, a you know, whatever they called her. I don't say they use the word pimp, but a madam or whatever for his girls. She wasn't just the lady of the house. She was a partner in all of these schemes, or at least many of these schemes, and maybe was not only a participant, may have been driving a lot of these schemes, is what you're saying. In my opinion, she was the brains, the behind the billion dollars that Epstein put in his pocket and also the crimes, the monetary crimes and the network of crimes around the world. It was her socializing that brought Epstein the network. It was her father, Robert Maxwell, who knew Jeffrey, the dream that his daughter, Jelaine Maxwell, would marry Jeffrey Epstein. So let's look at the money. The money is billions of dollars, and that's what the voters want to understand. Right, what the it, heck is going on? It affects there? everybody. You know, this is money that should be going to to run normal businesses, which pay taxes and you know do the normal things that you expect businesses to do. Instead, it's dirty money being sucked out of the system, sucked out of the American economy into you know wealthy foreigners' hands and and people here are suffering. I want to just run through a couple of things the, the judge basically said yesterday, um, that she's, Jelaine Maxwell was has not been maybe fully aware of the seriousness of the charges that she was facing. That maybe as she was out there in New Hampshire, she didn't quite realize that this was a real thing coming towards her. And that may be the case. It seems that it was a surprise for her that she would be arrested. Um, the financial components that were included in the bail application, the judge said did not reveal the full extent of her resources. In other words, there's a lot more money and she's got a network that is far bigger that surrounds her and who knows how high up that network goes, but it's very well resourced. And this is one of the reasons they argued that she should be um, remanded without bail. She also said that she demonstrated a sophistication in hiding her finances and herself and the significant foreign connections, all of which landed up convincing the judge, at least, that she shouldn't be granted bail. Now, I want to play you what the prosecutor said in response to the original application. Uh, it, it, it goes a little bit, so I'll try to keep it uh, short, but it's a really interesting thing where they're rebutting this notion that uh, the prosecutor, sorry, the, her defense was saying that uh, Ghislaine was ready to cooperate at all points. In fact, she wasn't, according to the prosecutors. Take a listen. I want to address the notion that the defendant would have surrendered if the government had asked her to. No yeah. offer along those lines was ever made. And of course, the government doesn't have to even accept, accept a defense counsel's representation that their client would surrender. In fact, the fact that the government took its me these measures to arrest the defendant reflects how seriously the government takes the risk of the defendant in the flight. Why on earth would the government notify the defendant through her counsel that she was about to be indicted uh, and arrested if the government had serious concerns that she was at risk of flight? That is exactly what occurred here. In addition, it is interesting that the defense counsel notes that it should have been obvious to the government that the defendant would have surrendered 
evidence with some of these allegations. Um, and they were required to seek leave of the court to serve the defendant through their counsel. Your Honor, turning to the question of the defendant's finances, there is still at this point no substantive response regarding the defendant's finances or about her lack of candor to the court significantly. And while we recognize that it appears that the defendant's extensive resources may be in complicated banking records, at a basic level, the defense argument is that she cannot remember off the top of her head just how many millions of dollars she has. That seems to be the argument, that she could not really remember how many millions of dollars she had. Uh, Steve, what's your take on... Um on all of that you know is she uh is she just hiding a lot of information that is so significant that we're actually at the uh you know we haven't even scratched the surface here how, how wealthy is she number one the rule of bail is that she has to disclose what her assets are and she has to pledge certain assets to guarantee her performance and showing up in court that would be forfeited if she doesn't show up in court and she runs away to another country or wherever they can find her, find her by the FBI. She did nothing of that in her bail application, and she did not provide any details to her assets, zero details were provided about Elaine Maxwell's asset. The only explanation was $20 million of accounts provided by the prosecutor. And there's no way that she was cooperating for the last year or they wouldn't have raided her house to arrest her and she wouldn't have run away from the FBI in her own house. Right. It does seem like that. there's no doubt in my mind that this was a surprise to her and she did not, even at that moment, expect to be arrested, um, which is which is interesting, you know, because she certainly wasn't cooperating. Do you think she's cooperating now? Do you think she started, uh, you know, at least naming names or she's considering naming names? Well, let's look at what we know that's been evident so far. Hmm. Jeffrey Epstein bragged to Brad Edwards, the lawyer for some of the victims, that he was untouchable, that he had such powerful relationships of prominent people that it would be impossible to arrest him, mm -hmm. considering that he rigged four cases that he was named in before that. Four mm -hmm. were rigged by Jeffrey Epstein. So his total exposure was a slap on the wrist in a Palm Beach prison that gave him the right to leave the prison, I guess, almost every day Wow! for his own benefit. So four cases were rigged by Jeffrey Epstein having these powerful connections. Now there's a second problem you want to know about, correct? What is your second problem that you want the details on? Is it the money part? I was interested in cooperating who she's naming. I want to know who she's naming. She hasn't, I would think, started naming anybody yet. I, from the way this worked yesterday and the way the arrest occurred last week, she hasn't named anybody. 
And the conversations had with the Southern District of New York prosecutors were just what they are described as conversations. They wanted to go through the two process components first, which was the arrest. That was under due process, normal due process. Many FBI agents, state police, city police, New York Police Department were at the scene to arrest her. It wasn't prearranged. It wasn't a meeting between the lawyers and the FBI. This was a normal arrest of a fugitive. So if you were getting cooperation from the fugitive, Jelaine Maxwell, this arrest would not be staged that way. She would self-surrender directly to the FBI. And that's how it will be done orderly. That's the way it It should be. Now, it wasn't just an ordinary arrest. Let me push back a little bit on this ordinary arrest thing, because you got to look at what Jeffrey uh, Berman was saying in, in his testimony at the House the other day. You know, I don't know if you took a, a read of his of the transcript there, but I'll I'll give you some highlights. And of course, I, we should explain that Jeffrey Berman is the um, now former um, attorney for Manhattan for the U.S. Uh, and uh, he was, of course, fired by Bill Barr in a kind of unceremonious way a few weeks ago. Now, in his testimony, he says the attorney general said that if I did not resign from my position, I'd be fired. He added that getting fired for my job would not be good for my resume or future job prospects. I told him that while I did not want to get fired, I would not resign. And he goes on to say, the attorney general said that he was trying to think of other jobs in the administration that might be of interest for me. I said that there are no job offers that would be enticing enough for me to resign from my position. I was appointed by the court of the Southern District of New York and therefore could not be fired by the attorney general or the president. So Jeffrey Berman really held his ground there. He, he actually stood ground and he tells um, Bulbar, you can't do this. You can't fire me. And then they start this negotiation, which is really interesting. At 4.44, uh, he gets a missed call from a number with the 202 Washington, D.C. area code that he did not recognize. He did not leave a message, the person on the call. So Berman calls back at 721, and it is the attorney general. He called the number back, and he says they had a three-minute conversation. The attorney general then asked him whether he would be interested in becoming the chairman of the SEC, which is another position under Barr's uh, authority. And, of course, he said that I I told him my position was unchanged, all of which leads us to um, later on that evening, um, the idea at 7 o'clock, Sorry, at 9 o'clock, the release of Bill Barr, a statement saying that he had fired um, Jeffrey Berman. Now, what's really interesting is that there was a bit of give and take going on. Over the next 24 hours, it seems that the negotiation went something like this. In exchange for um, Bill Barr not replacing Jeffrey Berman with another attorney, um, and instead going with the normal, traditional thing of appointing Jeffrey Berman's deputy as the attorney general, or the attorney, that was all the difference that uh, that uh, Jeffrey Berman was looking for from Bill Barr. He did not want another outside attorney to come in and take over the Epstein case and all the other important cases that he was working on. And he won. He got that. Yes, he did. He got his assistant, Mrs. Strauss, Mm. who did an incredible job in arresting Jelaine Maxwell. 
do it right in, right in. The next week, it arrested him, arrested her right then. Like they didn't miss a beat. So this must, this is causing a lot of jeopardy for uh, the attorney general. You'd think, especially as uh, you know, his boss can't be pleased with any of this. One would assume, but yet he had to give in. Why do you think he had to give in? Well, there's a problem of law and order. And today, President Donald Trump said that law and order is the voters' concern for America in the next election. And here we have the most important case in the country dealing with minors and sex trafficking and billions of dollars and famous people. You've got President Bill Clinton involved. You've got President Donald Trump involved. You got Prince Andrew involved. You have Lexi Wexner involved. You have Alan Dershowitz involved, and I could keep on naming names. Actually, the second graphic that uh, I call the exposed, and you named all, almost all the names on it, which is uh, you know all the people that could be affected by by the fallout of this. But keep going. Uh, it's really interesting that you mentioned. Well, there's that. many more people that were involved with Jeffrey Epstein's crimes and Jerome Maxwell's crimes. So this has to be exposed now to satisfy the voters in seeing correct justice and law and order being provided. There's been no law and order in Jeffrey Epstein death in prison. All there's been is massive confusion conceded by all the sides as to what happened to Jeffrey Epstein. We don't Nothing really know forward. what he did. We don't even have a clue of the full extent of what he did. All we know about is the human trafficking. But as we've been pointing out, there is so much more. And look at all these people that are, you know, potentially implicated in this. People who are incredibly powerful, incredibly uh, famous all around the world. You know, this has the... Uh, the hallmarks of something that could really change the, the the order of the of the world, the balance of power in in the world, and it certainly feels like it has an impact on whether democracies can survive um, going forward. And 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 those implications are huge, and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how we get there. You know, you're exactly correct, and the media is supposed to be the check and balance, and. The government has a tremendous responsibility with Elaine Maxwell right now to expose the crimes. Everybody in the country understands that Elaine Maxwell doesn't want to sit in this Brooklyn horrible prison much longer, that she wants to be transferred to a different prison in a better city where she could be in a smaller environment that could serve well in protecting her and guarding her against the COVID virus and guarding her against misconduct in the prison. And that's a very important consideration. First step now. I mean, everybody is questioning who is she going to name names. The first issue is to resolve where the Federal Bureau of Prisons are going to hold her for a long period of time in federal custody. And it can't be Brooklyn or New York City. It's got to be a regional prison outside Brooklyn or New York City for her safety and for the safety of the case. It's going to be a long time. I mean, this is not a case that's going to be done quickly. It's going to take potentially years to get through everything here. And so, 
Um, she can't stay in that jail. There's no doubt in my mind. If they were able to get to Epstein, they'll be able to get to her in a jail like that. Um, and besides, you know, she is too high profile. I don't think there's been a more high profile uh, visitor. And the Bureau of Prisons has, I'm sorry, visitor, uh, prisoner. And the Bureau of Prisons has not demonstrated that they can look after these high profile prisoners because look at what happened to Jeffrey Epstein. She is such an important witness that she's got to be put into a prison setting that an important witness belongs in in order to preserve this witness for whatever she's going to do. She we has all to cooperate, of course. Co- she's going to need to cooperate, but she, what if she doesn't? What if she decides that she can't actually reveal all this stuff? Because if she does, her life is at risk anyhow. The ways of revealing what you call evidence is many different roads that she can use, and she will pick one of the roads that a witness can use. Witnesses have many different options of how they can cooperate. And this witness, Jelaine Maxwell, is going to pick one of those witness options that will work well for her and for the government and for the other defendant. It's going to happen. Yeah, it does seem the like case it. is going to get exposed. When we think about the cases, well, the, we're talking about cases as well that are still happening in the British Virgin Isles, right? Those cases are still continuing. There are going to be fallout cases from every single one of these new charges that that uh, have been laid and all this new revelations that keep coming out. Um, we could be talking about, you know, a, a huge number of cases ultimately uh, falling out from this. The Virgin Islands said this week that she is a target of an interested person in their investigations. And they're looking at her substantially. Right. Now, once again, this is state that was created two days before Epstein's death in federal prison. And the state was created for the purpose of moving the assets out of New York City. That's a sham. Mm. And that could be set aside quickly. Right, but the charges are still valid. I mean, she's, you know, regardless of the state, the Lolita Express, you know, landed in the British Virgin Isles many, many times with underage girls and famous people on board. Uh, You know, it wasn't, regardless of whether it related to the state or not, those are crimes are still very serious crimes. Um, And whether it's that crime or the crime of the Southern Trust, there's the crime related to um, the, uh, the slush fund that they had in the Education Foundation. There's the Southern Country, which is Epstein's private bank, then he has his own little personal bank. I mean, these are all important crimes that could ultimately uh, net uh, someone like Ghislaine a lot of time in jail. Well, once again, she's a witness to where the crime started. The crimes did not start on Jeffrey Epstein's little island opposite St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. The crime started in America and other countries and were moved to the Virgin Islands by Jolene, Darren Dyke, and Jeffrey Epstein. So let's be realistic. The jurisdiction, the venue, is wrong in the Virgin Islands. The venue 
the jurisdiction for the billions of dollars interfered with belongs to New York City. Right. That's where it occurred. And Jeffrey Berman and deserves a lot of credit for this happening because, you know, him, his, his, his showdown with Bill Barr is how we got here. You know, we this would have remained a case potentially in the, the British Virgin Isles if if he wasn't so steadfast uh, in, in fighting Bill Barr and insisting that Audrey Strauss replace him. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Thank you.